Well, good morning, and thank you for having um, me here, as well as my family. I sing greetings from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Orange County or in Newport Beach. Well, if you love or you know at all about the liturgical calendar, which I think you do a little bit because you have an Ash Wednesday service uh, coming up, you're going to know that today is the fourth Sunday in the season of Epiphany or the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. And the season of Advent was a time to prepare for the comings of Christ, Christ's future coming and then also Christ coming at his birth. And then in Christmas, it was a time to celebrate the birth of Christ. And now in between the seasons of Christmas and Lent, you have this season of Epiphany. And Epiphany is a time really just to focus on the life and the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. Some common texts that are often preached during the season of Epiphany are the visit of the Magi to give gifts to Jesus, Jesus as a boy in the temple, um, Jesus' baptism, and then also Jesus' first public uh, miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And today we're going to be looking at um, Jesus' baptism. Now, Jesus' baptism is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts, and today we're going to be looking at Matthew's account from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me, or I know it's going to be up on the screen, so you can pay your attention there, or simply just close your eyes and imagine standing at the Jordan River watching this scene take place. This is God's word. It's given to you, his people in love. May you hear it now. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ah, well, the scene, it, it takes place with John the Baptist on the Jordan River, baptizing people, and then Jesus appears um, and surprises John by insisting on being baptized by him. Have you ever had one of those moments um, when somebody walks up to you, says a few words, and you're just utterly shocked like you might tilt your head and you're like, I don't really understand the words that are coming out of your mouth right now. Um, this is John's experience. It doesn't make sense that when Jesus comes up to him asking to be baptized, 
John is surprised by um, such a request. And then he even argues with Jesus and says, if anybody should be baptized, I should be the one being baptized by you. It shouldn't be the other way around. John was surprised. And I think we should be surprised by this too. And we should be surprised by this because baptism is a sign of repentance and being cleansed of sin. Now, Jesus was perfect. He didn't need to repent or he didn't need to be cleansed of his sin. And so the big question that was John's and that should be for us today is, since Jesus didn't need to be baptized, why did he get baptized? Since Jesus didn't need to be baptized, why did he insist on being baptized? See, in short, um, Jesus wasn't baptized for himself. He was baptized for us. Jesus wasn't baptized for himself. He was baptized for us. That he is and was our substitute who drowned in the waters of repentance so that our that in our baptisms that we can drown or that we can die to sin his baptism is his first public act that's going to set the foundation for a pattern of laying down his life and laying down his life for the sake of others which will ultimately lead to the cross which will then give life to others that others can find life in him so in jesus baptism we see three cosmic realities that occur over jesus three realities that are then given gifts to his followers giving gifts to us in our baptisms so I want to look at these three things. If you like notes, these are my three points. They'll be on the screens as well. But as we look back at Jesus' baptism, specifically in verses 16 and 17, we're going to see these three realities, these three gifts. First is that the heavens open. Second, the Spirit descends. And third, the Father speaks. The heavens open, the Spirit descends, and the Father speaks. Now, since Jesus has always been the second person of the Trinity, none of these are actually new to him. From all eternity past, the heavens have been open to him. The Spirit has been present within him, and the Father has spoken words of love and acceptance over him. Thus, what we're actually seeing in Jesus' first public act is to make those realities that are true of him, given as gifts to his followers. Like, if you are a baptized Christian, your baptism is a sign that you have been given the gift of heavenly participation, that you've been given the gift of the Spirit's presence and work in your life, and that you have been given the gift of the Father speaking words of love and acceptance and pleasure over you. And this morning, as we look at Jesus' baptism, I want to take a little more time to look at each of those three more in depth. 
so that we can actually be people who, if these are gifts that we have received, that we can receive them, treasure them, and then express gratitude to God for the gifts that he gives us. So let's look at this first gift, the heavens open. In verse 16, if you look back there with me, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Now the gospel of Mark, um, because each of the four gospels tell tell the account of the story of Jesus' baptism. In the gospel of Mark, the word for opened is literally torn. The heavens were torn. Now the next time that we see this image um, of, of, of something being torn is at Jesus' death when the curtain of the Holy of Holies in the temple was literally torn in two, and then there was this earthquake. Now the Holy of Holies, if you know about that, that, that it, it was a room that was in the center of the temple and it was covered in tapestries. And on the tapestries was pictures of angels and what heaven would look like. It was the picture of the closest thing to what heaven was. And both of these images, um, they echo the prayer of Isaiah 64.1, which says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens, come down so the mountains would quake at your presence. The heavenly reality is breaking into earth in a long-awaited way at Jesus' baptism. It's going to proceed a little more and then come into a full expression when Jesus dies on the cross and the temple curtain is torn in two. But here we see it breaking on into earth. Now the... New Testament theologian N.T. Wright on this passage and the topic of heaven writes this. Heaven in the Bible often means God's dimension behind ordinary reality. It's more as though an invisible curtain right in front of us was suddenly pulled back so that instead of the trees and flowers and buildings, or in Jesus' case, the river, the sandy desert, and the crowds, we are standing in the presence of a different reality all together. The first gift at a Christian's baptism is the curtain being pulled back and heaven being open to them. Baptism, it gives you access to see and participate in a reality that is drenched in God's presence. C.S. Lewis, in his famous essay, The Weight of Glory, writes this, we do not merely we do not want merely to see beauty though god knows even that is bounty enough we want something else which can hardly be put into words to be united with the beauty we see to pass into it to receive it into ourselves to bathe in it and to become part of it Baptism, it unites us to the beauty and the person of Christ, drawing us somehow into the mystery of his life, which then allows the beauty of heaven to be open to us now. 
for us to pass into it, to receive it, to bathe in it. Like receiving and treasuring this gift, it means looking and trying to see ourselves a little differently, to live as citizens of heaven whose identities and practices are founded in Christ, that Christ is the origin, the stability, and also then the end of our lives. And so when you look back and you remember your baptisms, know that heaven has been opened to you, torn open in a very mysterious way that draws and unites you to the person of Christ. Now, the second cosmic reality that occurred <coughs> over Jesus, excuse me, and is a gift that's given to us is the Spirit's descent. So look with me once again at verse 16. After the heavens were opened to him, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So here we, we see the Spirit coming down visually on Jesus like a dove. Um, the image of a dove is actually really interesting because if you look at the larger context and specifically the preceding section about John the Baptist right before, um, you will see that there's the images of the Spirit um, in relation to power, but it speaks of fire, a fork, and an axe. Here, the Spirit comes down in power over Jesus, but not in the power that people would expect at that time, but power with the symbol of a dove, a symbol of gentleness and humility. It's this dove-like power and gentleness and humility that then becomes the pattern of Jesus' life and ministry for the next three years of his life, which will then ultimately lead to the greatest act of humility and obedience of Jesus laying down his life on the cross. Now, as I noted a little earlier, Jesus has always been the second person of the Trinity. Thus, this is a moment um, that here in this moment, it's not an event in which Jesus is actually receiving the Holy Spirit. He has always been in a loving relationship with the Spirit and the Father. However, because Jesus was baptized for us, the descent of the Spirit upon Jesus at his baptism, it, it communicates that we receive the Spirit at our baptisms. So listen to a few verses if this, for this to soak in a little bit more. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Theologians also call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit because in Ephesians 4, verse 5, it states that there is only one baptism. And as 1 Corinthians 12, 13 states, that when we are united to Christ at the exact same time, we are joined with the Holy Spirit. So, soak that in for 
a moment that if you are a baptized Christian, the Spirit of God has descended upon you and rests with you, rests in you. Like all of that power that was in Jesus, on him, at his baptism, is now in you when you were baptized. Because you are united to Christ. Like receiving and treasuring this gift, it means having, letting us have our hands open to move out into the world like Jesus in gentleness and humility. Praying for the Spirit to cultivate the gifts of the Spirit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, one of them namely being gentleness. Like gentleness and humility, they're hard. They don't actually come naturally to us. However, when you look back and you even remember your baptism, you know, okay, the Spirit has been given to me. The Spirit is working in my life to actually cultivate these characteristics in me. I know that I am fallen. Like, we all know that. We, we know that we struggle, that this is, it's not really easy and it doesn't come naturally to us to be gentle, to be humble. But what's beautiful about the work of the Spirit in our lives is that as Romans 8.26 says, that even when we don't know what to pray, or even if we don't know how to pray for more gentleness and humility, the Spirit is praying and interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Like, rest, rest with that as a, as a comfort, as an encouragement, that the Spirit has descended upon you. The same Spirit that was on Christ is now at work in you, cultivating fruit and praying for you. Now, the third cosmic reality that occurred over Jesus and that it's a gift that's given to us is the gift of the Father speaking. You look at the last section there in verse 17. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible. And it, and it is that because it's a gift that captures so much of what I long for and what I think most people long for, crave, and need. So look there with me. After the dove rested on Jesus, verse 17 says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, students of the Old Testament at that time would have immediately realized that God is quoting here from two different Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. The first being Psalm 2, verse 7, stating that the coming king is God's son. And then Isaiah 42, 1, stating that God's soul delights in his coming servant, his servant whom he has put his spirit upon. 
And this pairs beautifully with this image of the dove because Jesus is the long-awaited servant king. A king who will come to serve, not to be served. Whose baptism marks the type of king and the type of power that he reigns with. The theologian Dale Brunner commenting on this verse, and specifically God being pleased with Jesus, says this. Here, God is saying in so many words, in this man is everything I want to say, reveal, and do. Everything I want people to hear, see, and believe. If you want to know anything about me, if you want to hear anything from me, if you want to please me, go together with him. Listen to him. As we draw near, as we listen to Jesus, as we make Jesus the origin, the stability, and the end of our life, we, we also realize that all of the love that was spoken from the Father over Jesus is likewise spoken over us as baptized Christians because we are united to Christ. Like, close your eyes and just hear these words from God to you, his people. You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. It says, you are my beloved son. And I think that's actually true for all of us, whether you are male or female, because we are in Christ. I'd actually like it to read, if I was translating it a little better, um, you are my beloved son, comma, sons and daughters, in whom I am well pleased. That in Christ, we are adopted as heirs. Now, for many of us, this seems impossible, or these words seem impossible for us to accept, especially if you have never had an earthly father say those words over you. But, but it's a truth that we need to constantly remind ourselves of and that we need to help one another remember that we are beloved by God and that he is pleased with us. And that God doesn't love you and he's not pleased with you because of all the great things in life that you have done or that you can do. And he doesn't love you and he's not pleased with you because of all the bad things in life that you have somehow avoided. God simply loves you. He's pleased with you because you are his child, his son, his daughter. See, receiving and treasuring this gift, it means opening our ears to not only hear the Father speaking these words over us, but actually accepting them and believing them as truth. 
Like, are you today able to listen and to accept those words over you? And parents, um, especially fathers, like, may you learn how to speak those words over your children, whether they are two years old or 55. Like, do your children know that they are beloved and that you are well pleased with them and that you don't love them and are not and are well pleased with them because of all the good things they do or because of all the bad things that they avoid but do you love them and are pleased with them simply because they are your children do they realize that Peggy O'Mara made famous the saying, the way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. The way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. Reflect on that from yourself, on how your parents spoke to you. Your inner voice that you constantly hear. May the inner voice that our children hear and may the inner voice that we hear constantly on repeat, be the voice of our heavenly Father who says, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. So it's February. We are flying through 2020 already. Christmas was well over a month ago. And hopefully some of you received some gifts that you um, treasured and enjoyed. However, the reality is, is that over time those gifts are going to fade into the background of our lives or the background of our closets. And we're rarely going to think about them. I mean, right now, even trying to remember what you received a month ago at Christmas, let alone a year ago at Christmas, is hard. May Jesus' baptism remind us constantly of the gifts that we have been given. And specifically the gifts that Christ gave us at his baptism. And may we encourage one another not to forget about those realities, but to help one another treasure them. All three of them the gift of the heavens opening to you, the gift of the Spirit descending upon you, and the gift of the Father speaking over you. Would you please pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have an opportunity to come and hear you Speak to us. 
And we thank you specifically now as we remember Jesus' baptism. All the realities that occurred over him that day and all the gifts that were given to us in our baptism. May we treasure them. May we receive them with gratitude. And Heavenly Father, if there is anyone here today that has interest in following Jesus, interest in being baptized, of receiving these gifts, may you prick their hearts right now. May you spur them on and draw them to yourself. Help them be able to connect here at Harbor City Church and even to talk to a pastor or a leader and to even be baptized in the coming weeks and months. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.